nothing is more perfect or complete than the Word of God. When believers try to improve it by adding shortcuts or extra material, it only leads to trouble. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah powerfully illustrates this truth as he returns to an episode in the life of King David. From the Tender Warrior, here's Dr. Jeremiah to introduce the conclusion of his message, God's Work, God's Way. And thank you for joining us today as we continue our study in the life of David. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 6 as we investigate part 2 of God's Work, God's Way. David's story and the ark, a mighty teaching tool for all of us. God does not care just about the end result. He cares about the way we go about things and that we keep the rules along the way. And uh, we're going to learn much more about that today. And I want to thank you for joining us as we uh, open our Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 6. Friends, if you haven't already done so, I hope you will investigate the opportunity to go with us to Israel in March of 2024, the 12th through the 22nd. Those are the dates. And we'll be visiting Jerusalem and Galilee and the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. We'll have with us Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, many others. And, um, boy, this is a great tour, friends. You you travel on really high-class coaches, stay in really nice hotels. You're accompanied by a tour guide from Israel and a bus captain from Turning Point. And uh, you get to know people and you get to see things you never dreamed you'd ever see. And you come away with a great appreciation and love for the Word of God that perhaps you never had before. I hope you will come and go with us. We can give you all the information you need if you will just go to davidjeremiah.org slash events. All the things you need to do to get your reservations are there for you, directing you to the proper places. And then let me just remind you again, we're having an overwhelmingly unusual response to this invitation to go to Israel. Uh, More than anything we've ever done, we actually had a week, a couple of weeks ago, where a 100 reservations came in for this event in one week. So I'm just telling you this. I'm not making up this story. This is not a marketing talk. I'm just letting you know that there will be a time as we move toward the end of this where we will have to say we don't have any more rooms because our tour number is determined by the number of rooms we can get in Israel for our partners to stay. And we have all the rooms now that they tell us we can have, and we're trying to fill them up with the people who want to go. I hope you're one of those. Make your reservation as soon as you can. Okay, here is God's Work, God's Way, Part 2. Isn't it interesting that in the early days of his reign as the king, two times he has an appending war, and before he goes to fight, he goes and asks God, he says, shall I go? And God says, go. He asks him the second time, and God says, no, don't go now. This isn't the right time. David was very sensitive to what God had to say concerning his military affairs. But when it get time to move the ark... I want you to notice something. Once again, turn over in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles, which is the comparative passage to this record we are studying today. And I won't take you on too many more journeys, so just hang with me. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. David asks God when it's time to fight, and God tells him. But now he's going to move the ark, a very holy, solemn responsibility. Notice what he did. 1 Chronicles 13, verse 1. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. 
And David said unto all the congregation, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land, and let's go get the ark. What did he do? Isn't that strange? When it got time to fight, he asked God. When it got time to move the ark, he consulted with the captains of thousands and with every leader. And you know what they told him to do? They said, David, go get it and put it on a new cart and bring it back. You say, where in the world did they get that idea? That's not in the Old Testament. You're absolutely right. And I can tell you where they got it. This is our last journey away from 2 Samuel for a while. But go with me back to 1 Samuel chapter 6. 1 Samuel chapter 6. And I'll show you where they got the idea. David went to the wrong people with his questions. And they gave him the wrong answer. And they got their answer, believe it or not, from watching what the Philistines did. When the Philistines got upset over the Ark of the Covenant being with them and it was causing so much trouble, they had to move it. Now watch carefully, 1 Samuel 6 verse 1, And the Ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. Jump down in your Bibles now to the seventh verse, and they're going to move it. Now watch how they move it. Now therefore make a new cart and take two milk kine on which there hath come no yoke and tie the kine to the cart and bring their calves home from them and take the ark of the Lord and lay it upon the cart. (laughs) Now listen carefully. David is doing the right thing in the wrong way. He's asking the right questions to the wrong people. He goes to these counselors who are not in communion with God and they tell David to do what they've seen the Philistines do and David is now doing the work of God with the methods of the world. And it never works. It never works. So he's about to get himself into a lot of trouble. He is doing the right thing in the wrong way because he asked the right questions to the wrong people. And we're about to see the disaster. If you have your Bibles back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, notice what happens. And they're bringing the ark back on the cart. And when they came to Nikon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. Literally, the text says, the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his heir, and he died by the ark of God. Now, this is a a very strange thing. Some folks say, well, did the oxen stumble by accident? No, I don't think so. They are doing something that is abominable in the sight of God. They are taking that piece of furniture which represents the very holy presence of God and using Philistine methods to convey it. They're on their way down to Jerusalem and the oxen are caused to stumble. And when the ark is about to fall off the cart, Uzzah reaches out his hand to stabilize it. And as soon as he touches it, he's a dead man. Because the Bible says you are not to touch the ark of the covenant or you'll die on the spot. You say to me, Pastor Jeremiah, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, poor Uzzah, he didn't even know what was going on. He's innocent. Let me tell you something, my friends. When you disobey God, it is very probable that innocent people are going to suffer in the wake of your disobedience. And so it happened. The disaster took place. The anger of God was kindled against Uzzah, and he died. Now that brings us to the delay in bringing back the ark. Watch what happens to David. You know, David's emotions, and and I believe David was an emotional person. I think he was intense. I think he was a melancholy. I think he was emotional. And his emotions are like this. I mean, they're all over the ballpark. One moment, he's out in front of the ark, just rejoicing that the ark is coming back. The next moment, Uzzah dies, and David is stricken with panic and fear. Verse 8, 
And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perizzah unto this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? And he would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him unto the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And what David said was, listen, I don't want that ark in my house. No way. That thing, you touch that thing and you're dead. And he was filled with fear. Let me suggest something to you, men and women. Whenever you disobey God, you have taken the shortest route from joy to fear that is known to man. When you're walking in obedience to the Lord, you can have the wonderful joy of the Lord in your soul. There's a lightheartedness and a simplicity to your walk. But when you start to disobey God, that joy is taken away. And in its place, there's kind of a cloud, a fear that comes into your life. Instead of joying in the presence of God, you fear before him. And that's what happened to David. His joy is taken from him. In fact, isn't it David who wrote after his sin with Bathsheba? He prayed and said, oh God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He had lost it. Nathan the prophet had put the fear of God into David's heart. It's interesting to me that it is not hard for us to lose our joy. If we disobey God, it will always happen. Now what is going to take place is this. Because David is afraid, because he doesn't know what to do, because he's lost his faith, he doesn't want the ark in his house, and so it goes over here, and it's delayed in coming to Jerusalem by three whole months. He doesn't get it for three months. Finally, we come to the fifth thing in this chapter, which is the delight in bringing back the ark. We're all full circle now. We're back to the emotion David had at the beginning of the chapter when he set out on this mission in the first place. And during the three months, we're going to discover David has learned some things that will help him to do the will of God in the way God wants it to be done. First of all, verse 11 says, The ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now watch carefully. And it was told David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they bare the ark of the Lord and it had gone six paces that David sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord God with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now watch what happened. When David began to get word that the Ark of the Covenant had caused great blessing in the house of Obed-Edom, he was re-encouraged to try once again to restore it to its central place in Jerusalem. This time, though, he had learned his lesson. In fact, in 1 Chronicles 15 again, and I'll just read this to you. You don't have to turn there. During the three months that David has been away from the ark, reflecting on all that had happened, we read in verse 2, he's getting ready to go back after the ark again. This time he knows what to do. Verse 2 of chapter 15, David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Boy, David, you learned your lesson, didn't you? Good thinking. You don't want to make the same mistake twice. David has learned during those three months that God wants his work done his way. So he makes sure that the Levites carry it. 
Now, if you have your Bibles, or if you're listening to me tell you what's in the 15th chapter, in verses 14 and 15, we read another word concerning what David has learned. For we read, and the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel, and the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, listen to this, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. (laughs) During those three months, David got his act back together. And he went back and did his research, and he said, this time we're going after that ark, and we're going to do it right. The Levites will carry it exactly as God said. So they went to get the ark. And in the process, David goes into what I have called one of the biblical experiences of unrestrained joy and worship. David is now back in the center of God's will. He's back in fellowship with God. Have you ever gotten out of fellowship with God? (laughs) I know none none of you folks ever had any experiences like that, but maybe I could tell you from my own experience what it's like, all right? You know, it's joyous to know God and to walk with him in fellowship. And it's painful when you get out of fellowship with him. There was a period in my life when I was younger when I did not walk with the Lord. And the problem is when you've known the joy of the Lord, then you get away from it. You know what you're missing. See, a person who's never come to Christ, they don't know what they're missing. So they can kind of be happy in their misery. But a person who's a Christian and has gotten out of fellowship with God, he knows the joy he had over here. He knows what it's like to be away from that joy. So when he comes back into fellowship with the Lord, let me tell you something, that is joy unrestrained. All the burden of sin is past, the guilt is gone, you feel like somebody just taken a hundred pound load off your back, and all of a sudden it feels like it ought to feel again. You've got your joy back. Well, that's what happened to David. And I'll tell you what, he went crazy. The Bible says David got so excited, he started dancing. Now, I know some of you are going to have a problem with this, but this is what the text says. The Bible says, verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might. I can see it. Everything's right now. Sin is past. The disobedience is over. The thing is straightened out. And David's out in front of this ark. You know, he's just dancing with joy and excited. The presence of God was coming back to Jerusalem, and he was so excited about it, he couldn't restrain himself. But there was a lady watching him out of the window. (laughs) His wife. Can you get this? I mean, this is great. He's dancing, having a time of his life. And notice, and Michael, verse 16, Saul's daughter, David's wife, looked through the window and saw the king leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Come on, Michael. You know what she said? Listen now. This is what's going through Michael's. This is not dignified. David is the king, and he's acting undignified. So, you know, my heart goes out to David. Hmm. He came home after the biggest day of his life so far as king. Man, it's the greatest day he'd had since he'd been king of Israel. Now, see, what you have to understand is David doesn't know Michael saw him. He doesn't know this yet, but he's about to find out. (laughs) And I can just see him, you know, he just can't wait to get home and tell Michael what a great day it was for God. Oh, man, she's going to be excited. And she's waiting for him at the front door. You want to hear her speech? Here it is. David returned, verse 20, to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, drip, drip with sarcasm. How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. 
David, you were, you were just like a, like a vain fellow. You're the king. Look at what you were doing, dancing around with your ephod flowing in the air. David, I was ashamed. Here this man comes home with this big moment. And the woman he's married to doesn't know how to appreciate it with him. You know, I've got to share something with you that I read. I don't know how much truth there is in this, but listen carefully. Ladies, I'm not picking on you, but just listen carefully to me. Before long, we will come to consider the great sin of David's life with Bathsheba. Could its roots have been right here? Perhaps the thing that started him looking at another man's wife was the bitterness of soul which began when he came back from a day of victory to find the woman of his own heart and house who did not enter into the joy of his victory but despised him for his devotion. I suggest to you, said this author, that the trouble with Bathsheba began right there, for the trouble with many a man or woman has begun like that. A person who at one time in his life has given himself over to the will of the Lord may discover as he goes on with him that his life's partner has been left behind. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? The joy of David's heart was met with a reproof by his wife. I tell you what, I got to tell you something, and I, I have never, ever known any experience like this in my married life. I am blessed to have a woman who rejoices with every victory that I've ever known, knows how to be compassionate and encouraging when there aren't so many victories, and gets as much joy out of the joys I have as I do. That's a blessing. And men, if you're so blessed, you ought to hug the neck of that woman the first chance you get and let her know how much it means to you that she rejoices with your victories. Well, that's the story of the chapter. It's kind of exciting, isn't it? It's a real drama. And let me just tell you what we can learn from it. Just about three things that I, I want to cement in your minds. Number one, this story to me is a story about the preeminence of our Jesus you say, Pastor Jeremiah, where in the world do you find Jesus in the Old Testament? Where do you find? Well, let me tell you something. What the Ark of the Covenant was to the Jews, Jesus Christ is to us. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of the presence of God in their midst. Jesus Christ is God in our midst. And just as David desired to have the Ark of the Covenant at the very center of the nation of Israel, our purpose and desire in life ought to put Jesus Christ right at the center of our lives. Dr. E.V. Hill telling the story of a woman that goes to their church. He said she is so old, nobody knows how old she is. She doesn't know how old she is. She was born sometime in 1800, so they call her Old 1800. That's her name. And he said Old 1800 sits down in the second row. And when we have a preacher come to preach, and when I preach, about five minutes before the preacher's ready to preach, she starts saying, get him ready, get him ready. And everybody's saying, amen, amen. And a few minutes before he's to get up, she'll start saying, get him ready to get up. And everybody's saying, and when it's time for him to preach, she'll get real excited. And she'll say, get him up, get him up. And everybody, and the man, the preacher gets up and he's ready to go. She said, get him up. Dr. E.V. Hill said, everybody thinks that she's talking about getting the preacher up. But he said, I know what she's talking about. She's talking about getting Jesus up. And what she's saying is, get him up. And he said, what I'm here to tell you tonight, and I wish I could preach like he preaches so you could enjoy what I enjoyed. What I'm here to tell you tonight, he said, is it's time for us to get Jesus up. We need to make Jesus popular. We need to get him up. 
And then he preached out of John 1 and Philippians 2. And he talked about all the reasons why we ought to get Jesus up. We ought to get him up because he was God. And he was with God. And he has created all the worlds. And he got off on a tangent about how he's the heir of all things. He said, suppose I told you tonight I'm the heir of the Hilton Hotel where we're having this meeting. Boy, he said, I'd be something, wouldn't I? Take Washington, D.C. and extend it past and into the East Coast. Suppose I'm the heir of the whole East Coast. He said, you'd never get me to speak at your banquet. I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> but he said, let me tell you something. My Jesus is the heir of the whole world, and that's why we need to get him up, he said. And everybody was shouting and standing and clapping, and I'll tell you what, it was a high old time. I'm here to tell you that the Ark of the Covenant, in its representation to the Jewish people, is a picture of the importance of our making Jesus Christ central in our lives. And it's been a real, a real important reminder for me that in our study of the Bible, in our conducting of church business, in our doing of the work of the Lord, in our working with colleges and high schools and all the rest, we can get so involved in doing the work of God, we forget to get Jesus up and make him preeminent in our lives. Let's don't let it happen. Second thing this passage teaches me is the performance of our job. The preeminence of our Jesus, but secondly, the performance of our job. And I just need to touch on this quickly, that God cares about the means as well as the ends. And I've also made this observation. When we decide that God needs our help to get his work done, and we take the methods of the world and combine them with the instruction of the Lord, it doesn't help us to get there quicker. It delays our getting there. David did the work of God with the methods of the world, and it took him three months longer than it would have taken if he had just done it God's way. So you can't get ahead using the world's methods. And that's good for us to remember, isn't it? I've also learned, and this is interesting if you read the story carefully, that when you don't do God's work God's way, he passes the blessing off of you and gives it to somebody else. David didn't do what God wanted him to do the way he wanted him to do it, so the ark didn't get to Jerusalem. It got over there where Obed-Edom was, and he had three months of unexpected blessing because of David's disobedience. Now, I want to tell you something. I want you to be blessed like you cannot believe, but I want you to have your own blessing. I don't want you getting mine because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. You get your own. All right? I'm going to keep mine if I can because I need all the blessing I can get. Third thing I learned is not only the preeminence of our Jesus and the performance of our job, but finally, the possession of our joy. How do you get your joy? Hey, it's so simple. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Obedience is the route to joy. When David was obedient, he had his joy. When he was disobedient, he lost his joy. And it's that way for us today, isn't it? You can lose your joy, men and women, doing the work of God. I'm here to report it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're so busy in this work here. You're running every night of the week, all week long, trying to keep things up. And if you're not careful and you lose your fellowship with God and your obedience to God, you can be busy doing the work of God and as miserable as you can be because you've lost your joy. Joy comes when we're obedient. David's joy was found when he obeyed the Lord. Amen. Is there a better illustration of that in all the Bible 
of a man who went to do something that was right, but he did it the wrong way and he lost his joy and he had to go back and start all over and get it done right. And, and you know, the other sad thing about it is in the middle of all this, some people got hurt because of his disobedience. What a lesson for us and what a reminder to all of us that when God calls us to do something, he wants us to do it his way and there isn't any other way. I've learned that lesson. I hope you have too. Well, the weekend is before us, and I want to remind you to go to church. I am constantly being reminded as I look at the church attendance here at Shadow Mountain, where I'm the pastor, that people are coming back to church in ways we had hoped they would at the beginning after COVID was finished. If you haven't gone back to church, this is the weekend you should do it. Go back to your church. Get back involved in the ministry. Don't let this episode we've gone through keep you from being in fellowship with other believers. Watch us on television if you can. Be sure to be here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Your notes of encouragement are always a blessing to us, so please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also view over 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's sermons on any screen on our Turning Point Plus streaming service for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you struggling with jealous friends, unexpected temptations, or even big battles? These can be difficult to navigate. But Dr. David Jeremiah, through his study on King David in The Tender Warrior, teaches you what you can do when you face these situations. This month, when you give a gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you the complete two-part CD album, study guide set, and the God Shot devotional. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional, and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. You have definitely heard people say this, and you've probably said it yourself. When a sports team wins the game, the team's fans always say, we won. 
they say we, as if they had endured the struggle as a player on the team. There's nothing wrong with identifying with the victory, of course, but too often we fail to remember who actually has won it. As Christians, we sometimes say we will be victorious in the end. The truth is, we are already victorious, but not on account of our own efforts. The Apostle Paul said it perfectly, God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's victory on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.